0: Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna replay from 89.3 Moody Radio.
1: It's Freedom Friday and man, do we have a freedom story for you. Jeremy's life was good. He had everything a person could reasonably want, but then through, in his words, a hideous cocktail of bad choices and clinical depression, he threw it all away in the most public way possible complete with criminal charges and his mug in the newspaper. In 2013, Jeremy became tangled up in a consensual 10-month emotional affair with a woman, and he quickly lost track of personal boundaries and became fixated on her family's needs and then on her, and it nearly destroyed his marriage and his health. But his family is together today. A few months into this, going into the train wreck, Jeremy was clinically depressed, suicidal, living a double life, trapped in a relationship. He couldn't find a way to escape and didn't want to. By the time the obsession had run its course, he would find himself standing below her bedroom window, reduced from a rising star in the community to little more than a peeping Tom. The fallout was, as you can imagine, swift and public, a felony invasion of privacy charge. He resigned from... His pastoral position press got a hold of the story he was publicly shamed he resigned from professorship at at the seminary in Grand Rapids and was given a good long probation and and that's the story but in Jeremy's words all that to say God is good and the Jeremy we're talking about is dr. Jeremy Gordon Grinnell who earned his PhD in systematic theology at Calvin Seminary, taught theology for 15 years at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, was on staff at Bella Vista Church. So there it is. We just put out, you know, one of the worst moments in your life there, Jeremy, and you've been (laughs) courageous enough to do that. You've got this book, The Bellowing of Cain, Hope for Those Who've, Who've Blown It. So let me give you the microphone for a little bit here. Why is this book needed?
0: Well, as I was pulling it together, somewhat against my will, my editor sort of leaned into me, and said, Jeremy, you've, you need to put this story down. The church needs stories like yours because we don't have many. We have a lot of books, very good books, necessary books about how to grow through trauma and survive trauma. But they're almost universally written uh, from a victim's perspective. It's the thing that comes into your life from the outside, the diagnosis, the layoff, the death. Uh, you didn't have any hand in it. You just have to survive it. But there's really not a lot of help out there for people whose greatest wounds in life are self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. You know, you put the gun to your own foot mm-hmm. and pull the trigger. So uh, this book became a, a means of filling that hole, of sitting on the shelf next to all those other important books uh, mm-hmm. that, that help people grow through trauma. Because I don't think I know a person uh, who has not regrets— about their life, who has not made mistakes, done things that, uh, you know, they don't all get dragged out in the front lawn like mine do. A lot of people still have their worst secrets hidden in closets. And I talk to a lot of people now who live in a lot of fear Mm -hmm. that their darkest moments will one day be made public and they will lose all that they've worked for. It's it's not the fear of a few people. It's the fear of many.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As you open up about this, as you open up your life, yeah, people are going to feel a safety with you and say, you know, here's the worst thing I've ever done, and I'm so afraid of it becoming public. I can't think of any books. I can't think of really many books like this where somebody says, this is what I've done. You know, it's on me. The only book that comes to mind is the tele-evangelist, Jim Baker, way back in the day. Sure. When he failed, and he came out with a book called I Was Wrong. Sure.
0: I can't think of any other books. There are yeah, that, and that's a struggle when, you, when you're trying to write a book like this is that there are books out there of people, you know, the Mia culpa books, and a lot of them, and I'm not saying there's not good in them, but a lot of them end up taking a very sort of left-handed. Uh, it's an opportunity for them to sort of correct the narrative to show why what they did wasn't quite so bad, why it was understandable. And uh, I just want to be clear, this is not the book I wrote. Um, I, my goal is to help people, and you can't do that if you're still trying to justify that's one of the things you have to lay down is your 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 need to control your own story anymore yeah you know shame
1: has been i'll I'll put it shame has been a friend of mine throughout my whole life since i was about eight years old and i've learned so much from shame Hmm. and shame is brutal it is but shame can be beautiful as well Jeremy, you know, shame is, is ruthless, you know, and the first wound of shame in my life came when I was eight years old. Mm. And then as I, as I made some massive moral failures as a teenager, the message of shame to me was, and the message of shame is, this is who you are. What you've done wrong is who you are. Not that you've done wrong, that you are wrong. What you've done is who you are and who you will always be, and there's no hope for you. And so that's the message I've been working through and been in the process of healing from since I was eight years old. Yes. And it continues right to today. So talk about the shame, working through the shame in your life from this, you know, public disgracing that you went
0: through in 2013. Sure. Well, I mean, you put your finger on it. I think everybody feels shame. It's a common emotion. Everybody recognizes it, but there are sort of different levels. There's shame that we feel that we don't deserve, you know, like a, like a little, a child whose parents are divorcing who feels shame, but he had no hand in it. He just feels shame. And so we know that in those situations, you want to help the child not feel that. Shame is something to be put behind you because it's not warranted. But It's a kind of a different journey when, as you said, you've had a hand in the making of it. If you've done bad things, if you've perpetrated evil in the world, there's, at one level, you ought to feel bad about it. I Mm -hmm. mean, it would be pathological not to. And yet, shame is also something that the gospel speaks a lot about, um, that there is healing, there is hope. And I love the line in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce where the one character says, uh, shame, it's, it's a bitter cup. But it's very nourishing if you will drink it to the bottom, do anything else with it, and it will scald. Shame isn't a sense is, is not for people who've, who've done wrong, people like me, perpetrators of evil. It's not something you just simply get past and push behind you. It has a way of uh, making up a bed in your soul and then expanding it. And when you live with it and when you make it your offering to God, uh, God is remarkably good to take even shame. And do remarkable things with it—to mm-hmm. teach, to train, mm-hmm. to uh, comfort. Um, shame is—it's not a—it's not a happy; it's not a good feeling. I, I wish I didn't feel it, but I have seen God be faithful to teach me lessons I could not have learned, I would not have learned, uh, without that being my my traveling companion.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, in my story, the message of shame has been: what you've done wrong, your worst sins and all of your sins define you they define you yeah the, that's who you are who you will always be and there's no hope for you and so the gospel says yeah you know shame is shame is real it's real and the message of shame is real but it's not
0: true because your identity is Beloved, For, and that's that's exactly what I was sitting here thinking. Was like the the that tension that I've heard to live, I've had to learn to live with, to acknowledge and own the things I did, and yet realize that in some great mystery, I am beloved of God, not in spite of, but somehow in the midst of all of those things. Yeah, I love how
1: Brennan Manning puts it, and I've made this my own. Have you read Brennan Manning?
0: Yeah, the Ragamuffin Gospel was recommended to me by a friend very early on in the process, and yeah. I I devoured it. Abba's Child is great as well, but mm. this is this is uh, this is mine. First
1: with Brennan, but this is mine. Everything that has happened in my life had to have happened to me to make me who I am. That's where I'm at now in my journey. Praise to God. Absolutely. What about your your book is? The Bellowing of Cain, Hope for Those Who've Blown It. And this book goes into all the details. <laughs> I, don't yes. think you, I don't think you hold really anything back. You just have put it all out there for us. But I'm just curious, you know, because I think about the people that I've scarred. Sure. I've scarred and wounded people yeah. in my life. And so with this book coming out, what about the people that you hurt that this story is about?
0: Well, it's been a really interesting journey, and uh, in, in many ways that's the hardest part to bear is the, the consequences upon other people, you know, my family, my, my kids. Um, God has really done a remarkably restorative work. Uh, this book was published with the consent and affirmation of the people at Bella Vista. Um, they re-embraced our family. That's a longer story. Um, and we actually attended that church again for several years. Yeah. So, Bella Vista is in Rockford. That's yes. the church where you were serving as pastor. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, so, again, we served there for, uh, again, for several years as, as congregants. And so, God really brought that back. And the book, early manuscripts of the book were actually read by a number of people in the church who walked the journey with us, who actually lived it, uh, to to just make sure that all, all parties were treated fairly, uh, that honesty and integrity were were present in the manuscript. And so we've tried to be fair. It's my story. I don't, you know, we don't, I don't spend any, hardly any time dealing into sort of, so to speak, my partner in crime, so to speak. Um, That story is, that's not my story. My story is my story. and that's the one I'm trying to tell. And uh, for the purpose of both take first taking responsibility for my actions, but second, because I know that there are other people out there trapped in similar kinds of things and whose life is, uh, is sort of suspended by a thread. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so uh, did the people there? There were two people that were hurt through yes. this
0: from your actions. Did
1: they? Did they know that the book was coming out?
0: Did they have any pushback to the that, book coming out? That I, I honestly do not know. We've had okay. no contact. Um, that's part of how the legal proceedings go. Is they put up some fairly. St- and, and there's good reasons for this brick walls between kind of uh, a complainant and, and, uh, and accused. And so uh, we went our separate ways and we've, we've really had no contact. So I've had to, and that's a, how should we call that a lack of resolution or a piece of restoration and reconciliation that's never taken place. Um, and that's the way these journeys are. You, you, some, some relationships are reconciled and healed and others simply aren't. Mm-hmm. And that's a reality one lives with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Talking with Jeremy Grinnell about his book. It's his story, The Bellowing of Cain, Hope for Those Who've Blown It, in it one of the worst things he's done in his life, but how God has redeemed it. And so, you know, when, when, you've, when you've hurt somebody, you have to come to grips with that. And so,
0: how do you find peace? Well, it's, it's, it's hard because, as I said, there's a lot of people that were hurt by my actions who I, I never see. I never knew them. They were mere congregants. The church had grown immensely in, in the, the years I was there. So I didn't even know everyone who was there. And then the church contracted rapidly afterward under the public scrutiny. So many people disappeared and I have no idea who they were or what the harm was. And I have had to travel the journey of, of there's a, a faith commitment, a trust here that even though those people are lost to me, they're not lost to God.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure and you've gone through a restoration at Bella Vista church yes so this is a beautiful thing that that you you know had to resign from this church maybe step away from the church for a season yes we were gone for 5 or 6 years oh wow yeah but this tells me a lot about that community of faith yes good people and so t- just tell me i can i can see the emotion in your eyes and so uh, thank you brother for just being raw and real this is a this is a a courageous man right here. And we don't know each other well, but I love this guy because in so many ways I am this guy and this is my story. And so we're just two brothers, you know, talking about having feet of clay and how Jesus has forgiven us. And I just think it's so awesome. And I and I know from texts that people are resonating with this, but just tell us real quick about the restoration that happened at Bella
0: Vista. Well, there were two stages. We attended, and actually we attend again now for reasons I can talk about later, a Frontline Church, which is a Wesleyan community there on the northeast side. That's where the reconciliation began, and I was kind of restored through that community. And then through a long, twisted story, we found ourselves back at Bellevista Church in a congregational meeting where I, I, I retold my story to them, asked forgiveness, was embraced. Um, and again, we re-entered that community for four or five years until God has led us on to other things now, and um, we served in that community. I preached in the pulpit uh, again several times. In fact, wow. I will be preaching there again in two weeks. Wow, that yeah. is awesome.
1: Yeah, so it's Bella Vista Church in Rockford if in you Rockford. want to hear Jeremy. Yes. <laughs> so his book is The Bellowing of Cain, and you can find out everything about this book at bellowingofcain.com com. God is in your broken story as well. Jeremy, I'm thinking of, of Paul's words. Uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And my short version of that is that if God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. And I truly feel that in my heart with my sins, that if God can forgive Perry LaHaye, he can forgive anybody. But just, just a thought or two on, on Paul's passage
0: there and his
1: transparency
0: well, absolutely. Paul Paul lived with a great deal of shame and uh, baggage from his past, but I cannot get away from the fact that Christ's death was, at least to all observers, it was a criminal's death. The cross was where they put criminals. And so a gospel, we, we, we have a gospel that addresses victims and offers hope and peace and restoration and healing, but we have a gospel that also is aimed at perpetrators, at criminals, uh, that there's restoration and healing for them as well. Yeah, and if you're sitting in a prison cell right now and
1: you're a perpetrator, you are that guy, you are that woman, the grace of Jesus Christ is for you, maybe especially for you, because his word, Jesus says himself, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So let's talk about, you know, the past is something we can't change. We can't go back and change what we've done wrong.
0: That's correct. Yeah.
1: But there is a sense in
0: which the past is changeable. Absolutely. Because the past is all about meaning and meanings change all the time. You think about the the very act of the crucifixion, you know, for three days. It's it's a criminal's cross, and uh, so Christ dies in ignominy and in shame, in a sense, there upon the cross, and the resurrection reaches backward and changes it all. It turns it into a sign of victory. Mm. You think about the new kingdom one day that uh, all that we do now will will not have its final meaning told until we're there. So there's a sense that. When a person has wrecked their life, when you've made choices that and it's all come apart on you, um, that's not the most defining moment because the meaning of that event is going to change. Yeah. So you should have hope in the midst of it because what you're doing now, uh, before the eyes of God, as the story unfolds, the meaning of those events are going to change. The past will change
1: with you. Yeah. Well, in Christ, everything is redeemed. It's Every, new. Everything is reconciled. That's right. So... God doesn't use us in spite of our past. No. He he uses us because of our past. In the very midst of it. And there's also this sense where my worst failures that have hurt other people will be turned into some kind of
0: glory in the age to come. Because of those failures. Does that make sense? It does. And it's and it's a great mystery because on the, you know, kind of in my left hand, I continue, we all do continue to acknowledge the harm we've done and, and in one sense wish we could undo it. I mean, we have to think that. But on, in our right hand, we're also acknowledging that God is strong and powerful to take even that which we intended for evil and turn it for good. Again, the cross is a picture of this, that which the enemy intended for evil. Through the resurrection, says Paul, God turned into a great victory. Even even the the fall of Adam and even the garden, which was a great tragedy, and I'm sure they wished the rest of their lives that they could have un that they could undo it. Paul says was the door through which the cross came and the redemption of the world took place. This even this greater song, this mm-hmm. song of redemption. Yeah, and you know it's the word says that
1: Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth that's right god knew we were going to fail and he decided to to share the love of the trinity with us knowing that we would fail but but jeremy take us back to you know when you hit your i don't know if you remember your lowest of low points through your moral failure and then being publicly shamed you know and just what your thought was then and then how god god what God
0: said to you to give you that light when all other lights went out? Well, it's a, it's a little like watching your children grow up. You don't see it because you're with them all the time. It just happens so gradually. But then some relative will come and visit, and they'll be, oh my goodness, they've grown six inches, right? Mm-hmm. And the transformation is is dramatic. Uh, that's a little like what it feels like. the The work of God in my heart has been so slow, so gradual, so that I almost don't detect it. Some days, days that are up, days that are down. But then I'll run into somebody who hasn't seen me in a while and they say, Jeremy, you're not in the same place you were two years ago. You seem more grounded, more healthy, more more alive. And I'll go, really? Because the work of God often is, is slow yeah. and patient, and you don't see it in the, in the moment. You know, not many people have had their
1: worst failures, you know, put in print for all the <laughs> world to see, and you have had that happen. But in spite of that, How do you see yourself? Or how do you... Yeah, how do you see yourself, you know, Jeremy looking at self, and how do you see God looking at you?
0: Well, the way... The way I view myself, and I and I hope that I am learning more and more to view myself as God does. So I hope those are I hope those are slowly converging lines. But I tend to think of myself. I, I attempted first to tell my story through a, through a failed podcast, um, and I had a listenership of seven, and uh, for for about six months. And the title of that podcast tells it all. I called it "The Homilies of Saint Asinus." Hmm. Asinus is the Latin word for for donkey. Or forgive me. Ass. And so it, it what it reflected was sent Azanus was the reflection that sometimes you're the saint, sometimes you're the ass, but in some mystery, you're both at the same time. Hmm. I have my failings, I have my weaknesses, I have my faults, and yet I am beloved, I am forgiven, I am reconciled. And in any given moment, depending on what's happening in the week, the donkey or the saint may be the thing I'm feeling more. But that's not the truth of it. That's what I'm feeling. But mm-hmm. with God, I am a beloved son. Yeah. Yeah. And there there
1: are many times I don't feel that. It's true. And I have to stand on the truth of that. So good of you to come in, Jeremy, and just be honest with your story and you. give give hope for ragamuffins like me. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a sense in which we cannot change the past when we've blown it big time and we've all blown it in some way, shape or form. We've blown it and we can't change the past. And so we've got to grieve that. Uh, Talk about that.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people instinctively, when they've uh, made mistakes, their their attempt as they move forward is to try to reclaim all that lost ground. And uh, while that may be possible to some extent, I don't, I have learned that that's not the way forward. Um, I don't think it's what God intends more for us than to reclaim an old life. Uh, Redemption is not about just getting the old stuff back. Adam and Eve don't go back to the garden. The loss is real. And part of healing is to acknowledge that the losses are real. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that the gospel is a, is a story of resurrection, which if you think about it is a story of dead things coming back to life. So, the lesson, I suppose, for us is to learn how to die well when we've blown things up and when we've we've lost precious things due to our own failings, our own mistakes. Sometimes you have to let them die so that God can grow not old things back, but grow new things, things you didn't expect. And that's been the journey I've seen uh, in my own life is that the joys, pleasures, and delights that my life now consists of are not things I could have predicted before. They're new things. Mm-hmm. So...
1: It's like you've got to die to the compulsion to want to go back and change that, right? Yes,
0: yes, absolutely, because you can't. Those events are written. Uh, it's like a painting. You put a big slash of color across the painting, and you're not going to get that off. But God is good and faithful, like like Bob Ross, to take that slash of brown and turn it into, to incorporate, not remove, but incorporate it into the new life so that now it's a tree or a cloud. or That's what God does you know there are a lot of
1: public figures within the christian community who have who have fallen you know over weekly we hear yeah, yeah. and you know i think i'm thinking of like mark driscoll and i'm thinking of bill hybels and i can't think of others but they tend to just go away we never hear about them again It's true and, a culture of disposable people
0: is how i refer to it in the book
1: yeah so uh,
0: it's like where is the redemption? Well, it's hard because when when you when you've broken faith with a people, um, it's not something you automatically get back. There's a long journey and you ought to take. It's been 10 years for me and I'm only just now starting to to reapproach some of the the new tasks. But redemption is something that's that is a slow-growing plant and the fruit will out, but you just have to give it time. So, you lost everything
1: back in 2013, but you're gaining things you never could have gained had you not lost everything. What do you look forward to for the rest of your journey before you see Jesus?
0: Well, like like many people, I'm holding my candle six inches above the ground. That's you know that's that's the pool of light I walk in. I don't know where the future is. Mm. Um, I have uh, been invited by the Wesleyan Church to enter the ordination process again. Mm. Uh, they have been very uh, gracious and lived the gospel out for my family. I am um, hoping that the, the publication of the book, of my story, will allow me to interact with more and more people. I've had many conversations with pastors who are no longer in the ministry due to failings, and I've had many people tell me, many of them, uh, sit in front of me over coffee and say, thank you, for, thank you for telling my story. You know What you've recorded here is what the journey was like for me.
1: You know, what about this book in terms of people who have been hurt, who have been sinned against, Hmm. who have been abused, you know, just a crime committed against them?
0: Yeah, it would be a very difficult book to read. I I don't want there to be any illusion the book was is intended for the people who've caused the harm. Uh, Its goal is to help them kind of figure out what went wrong. How did they get to where they are and how to rebuild after that? And so it's not written to two victims, but this just shows you how good God is to do things beyond what we expect. I have had any number of people uh, get back to me about the contents of the book saying I was that person. I mean, I was, I was the victim of somebody else's evil. Hmm. I was the congregant in the church where the pastor blew it all up, or I was the person who was subject to abuse or things like that. And, the feedback I've gotten reading, of them reading the book was that while it was very hard, uh, it, it is a straightforward read. It could be re-traumatizing to some readers. They also said uh, that it helped them because it took them inside the mind and the experience of the person who hurt them. And when you understand a bit of what was going on in the background, you begin to realize things like maybe it wasn't all about you. And like maybe there were other f- factors going on. And and there's a, a kind of healing that can come uh, from understanding um, what was going on in the mind and heart of the person who hurts you, now that of course doesn't excuse the act, the thing they did in any way. But yeah, I had I have had a number of people in that category tell me that that's what they got out of the book. So people who have been victimized,
1: or have, who have been hurt, or you know, sinned against in in a, in a big way, have
0: actually looked at this book, known what it's about, and have read it, and have read it anyways, which. Hmm. Amazes me because that's not who I was intending to write the book for, but you know god God uses all kinds of strange things to reach and heal us in the midst of our of our hurt.
1: Have you had any like big stones thrown at you
0: since t- 2013 where you know it's really hurt? Um, there have been a number of significant setbacks. Uh, as I have uh, attempted reconciliation with various uh, various people in my story, people that I hurt, institutions that I hurt, some have been very open and willing to sit down, and there has been uh, you know full reconciliation, the reestablishing of friendships and relationships and things, and there have been some that have basically told me to to just disappear. Mm-hmm. They they don't want to have the conversation. The hurt was too deep, and and of course I grieve that, but I certainly understand it. Yeah. Jeremy, a common
1: denominator in my story and in your story and in Chris's story who texted in is shame. And I talk about shame being this like bitter friend. And, you know, it's it's something where at one time it was just all bitter because it started in my life when I was eight years old. And what shame said to me is, what you've done is who you are and it's who you'll always be. And there's no hope for you. So that's, that's the poison of shame, Yeah. but then God can turn the shame into a way to shift into hope and into a new identity. And Chris would like to experience, and I'm sure you listening as well, if you feel shame, you want to move from just all bitter into some of the, the, you know, the, the bitter friendness of shame,
0: if I can put it that way. So, your thoughts on that, Jeremy? Well, i I think the I don't have a solution. Now, there's not a simple because these are very complex stories. And the first thing I I always want people to know because it was a hard thing I had to learn myself was number one, it's okay to be where you are, wherever you are at on the journey, whatever square of the board you're on. It's not about you sort of muscling through main strength your way in to get to some other square. If you're in the bitterness square, if you're in the shame square, you're in the anger square, God has things to teach you there, right? It's not about a rush to be somewhere else. God is faithful and good. If you will, if you will offer that, just make that your simple offering. God, all I have today is bitterness or shame or regret. God is faithful to take even that and do good things with it. So just give yourself time, give yourself space, don't give up. God is at work, but God tends to work slowly. And what I find is if you're right in the throes of the losses, I mean, if you're a medium, I spend, I spend the whole middle section of the book just wrestling with how do you survive the immediate implosion? Like, what do you do? And one of the things I've learned both in my own life and talking to others is you have to, you just have to set yourself up. It's going to take two to three years before you begin to feel like yourself again. It's going to be a long journey. You're not going to wake up next week and and feel fine. And so just mentally prepare yourself that you you're going to have to take a longer journey from this point forward making good choices before you reach a point where you're able to sort of navigate those internal feelings. It's it's a it's a game of time and not giving up. And it's this process of
1: Seeing yourself as hopeless and coming to believe that God loves me as I am. As you are in the midst of it. Not as I should be. Right. And God pushing his love slowly, surely through the years into my heart. And I I remember times going into worship and saying, Lord, all I have to offer you is my shame.
0: That's right. Here's my offering. You—that's your offering. Dave, yeah. David does that all through the Psalms. Yeah. You know, a broken and contrite spirit—that is my offering. Yeah. Not some future offering of, you know, good feelings and pious thoughts someday. Right now, in the midst of my shame and loss and guilt and regret, Father, this is my offering to you. And God is amazingly strong and good to do to do good, even through and in the midst of those things. Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800 968 8930. That's 800 968 8930.